bring it back into community and bring it back into this construct of how God thinks of things, of an economy of giving and receiving, then even as Christians, we can come together, doesn't matter how big the group is, 5, 10, 20 people, whatever it is, and people can together decide how they want to help one another. And in that way, we can become capital surplus providers instead of being a slave or indebted to someone we don't know. Welcome to Insights, and I'm excited again on this podcast to go further on some areas related to money and what's going on with Babylon and how to get out of Babylon than what we did in our last podcast. And why am I saying we? Because it's not just me, it's we. It's Greg Healy back with us on Insights. Welcome, Greg. Hey, good to be with you, Dave. Yeah, so, okay, we ended the last podcast explaining that that Babylon will be judged. We know that from Revelation 18. Uh, but what else can we do more on, the, let's say, the positive side of the equation? We said in the last uh, podcast, here's areas to leave Babylon. Here's where Babylon is actually trying to lure us in. Satan's trying to tempt us and get us all involved and trapped and snared and enslaved, as we said. But now there's got to be some ways forward. It's not just leaving Babylon. It's how can we we move forward. And I love what you've been talking about more and more, and that is uh, and that is the, the Joseph Storehouse. Now, before we jump into that, and that's the topic for today, uh, Greg, I just want to remind our listeners that you have a, a background in finance and that you have a, a background on Wall Street as well as senior level, level positions, uh, banking positions. And then now, over the last several years, you've developed what's called New Breed of Business. It's your ministry, it's your life calling, really, to help sort out uh, the business models, but do it according to the scriptures and do it according to God's way. And again, we can find you uh, and more information about you at newbreed.co, not .com, but .co. Uh, Anything you want to add before we jump into the Joseph Storehouse? No, I thought thought that was really good. Um, Yeah, let's let's talk about it. I call it the storehouse. Um, But yeah, you're saying Joseph Storehouse, which is reminiscent of Joseph having the wisdom of Pharaoh of how to feed a whole nation and, in fact, uh, two nations, nation of Israel and Egypt, together in a not, time of famine. Yeah, not, not the wisdom of Pharaoh, but Joseph had the wisdom of God, and he was doing it on Pharaoh's behalf as Pharaoh's prime minister. Yes, indeed. And Pharaoh gave God's grace and favor, was given to Joseph through Pharaoh because he was able to interpret that dream and Pharaoh had the understanding, well, you're probably the guy who can best implement this. And he was God's man for that hour. So what are we looking at in this hour? The storehouse is just a code word, a terminology for God's people being in community together. And instead of having to be a part of those existing structures and systems and depending in them and trusting in them, we actually have the freedom and liberty under God to develop our own uh, style of system, much like Joseph had his style that he convinced Pharaoh was the right wisdom for their day in terms of how to take care of the people. And so we too can create an alternative to the banking 
structure, we can create an alternative to the investment structure in the financial markets. Okay, so bef I, before we jump into specifics and stuff, I, I just have to get our listeners just pumped up. As we unpack this, it's how God's people, how we become the lender rather than the ones that are borrowing the money. And currently the structure is because we we're, like you, you've said before, an island unto ourselves. We have to do everything all by ourselves, so we don't have enough money, so we go to the bank and get a loan, whether it's for our house payment, a mortgage, or we're doing a car loan or student loans or some other kind of loans. What's going on here is to shift our thinking now as Christians, where we uh, are operating within the family of God, as you were just talking about, and that we have a storehouse and we lend to help other people. I mean, this is radical, Greg. I mean, who's living like this? But it does require being in community. Yeah. And so if you understand community banking and that concept, it is a type of community banking. Um, and it's like we have to shift our mentality into a surplus mentality instead of a debtor's mentality. God wants us to be providers and givers better to give than receive, right? That's scripture. He doesn't want us to be slaves and beholden to the debt we think we might ha must have uh, in order to live life, to have a house, to have a car, to have the things that we need. God wants to say, no, I can make a way where you can have a surplus instead of a deficit. And in your surplus, then you can turn around and help bless other people and cause them to grow in their own surplus. So then everybody separately and together becomes like their own storehouses, their own reserves of uh, capital, or they have the tools and equipment to help people and be giving. Uh, rather than just purely looking at things, how am I going to pay the bill of my debt uh, that is owed? So I think if we, um, if we reflect on what we talked about in our last discussion, when we were talking about money, Babylon, and America, in that, we really drilled down on that, that we have no relationship with any person at our local bank. Usually, I mean, I, I'm sure there's an exception or two out there with somebody, but generally we don't have any relationship. And if we have a loan, we have got to pay that off or here comes the repo man, or now we're going into foreclosure or whatever. They're there to make money. This model we're talking about here, we are in relationship with other people. And I really also um, think about this relational aspect to this the storehouse model, in like uh, every every month, my wife and I we send these checks off to pay for you know health insurance and car insurance and home insurance. Nobody knows me, nobody cares. But this model is we care for each other. Yeah, absolutely. So we could jump from one model to the other, but if we just stick to banking for a moment, um, see, God taught us and instructed that when a poor person among you requests a loan, do not be stingy, but be open-handed. Give them the money that they need. Now, that's not just a gift of that money, although giving a gift is great as well. They're basically by saying, can I borrow money? What they're effectively saying is they're not asking for a handout. They're asking for the ability to repay you. 
Okay. Now, the beauty of God's way of doing that, which is different than the way the world does it, is it's not a hold you over the barrel contract of giving you the money. What did Jesus teach when he said, when we lend? He said, don't expect to be repaid. Mm -hmm. So what that means is we're releasing it as a gift, but the person who receives it, they've assumed it as a loan. So before God, their intention is to pay you back. And then as receiving that back, just because Jesus said, don't expect to be repaid, that doesn't mean we have to refuse to be repaid. We can receive a repayment. But what we're doing is it's a voluntary system of giving and receiving rather than if you don't repay, I'm coming after you and you didn't do your part. So I'm going to clobber you. That's a recourse system. That's a quid pro quo system. I'll only do something for you if you do something for me. I'll only lend you this money if I can rob you of all that high interest. And that's the difference between how God thinks of a loan and how the world or the system thinks of a loan. And, and we've talked quite a bit about uh, banks providing us a loan, and then we become a slave to the lender. And they're there to make money. They're not there so much to help us. And maybe it was that way generations ago, but but not now. And then we talk about insurance, uh, the same idea. But, you know, if we were to do this correctly and be in community and help each other, uh, could we not get rid of our credit cards because we're helping each other? I, I mean, I know that sounds radical, but I it seems to me that there'll be a whole nother way not to be in debt because credit card debt is the worst debt in many ways because the interest rate is so high. Right. And credit card debt is a personal loan that's unsecured. That means you're not pledging an asset when you take that debt out. And so what people use credit cards for is a form of payment, a form of convenience, and a form of expanding your buying power, which can be a temptation, right? It's like, well, I only have this much in my bank account, but my credit card company gave me an extra 5,000, so I have that much I could spend. So when you bring it back into a community model, not a bank that's trying to hoodwink you into taking out debt you can't repay, now you're back into relational accountability and you're back into a, an environment, especially within the church, where you should have a group of elders, people who oversee, people know each other in the community. No one is going to be able to get away with like the moral hazard of just being a bad guy trying to rip everybody off, which is always a concern that people have about these types of models. Like, well, how will I, how will I not just be taken advantage of and everyone else will get free houses and cars and I'll be left holding the back? It all has to come back to trust, relationship, knowing who we each are, you know, that's the thing we've lost in our banking is nobody ever values any longer like, well, who are you in the community? What's your character? What's your reputation? Do people know you? Do you rip people off? Or are you a kind person? Are you the person who's always helped to be a coach and uh, contributed and volunteered? Or are you a person who's always like known around town as a problem and a trouble and, a, and someone who's, who's difficult? So bringing it back into community and bring it back into this construct of how God thinks of things, of an economy of giving and receiving, then even as Christians, we can come together, doesn't matter how big the group is, 5, 10, 20 people, whatever it is, and people can together decide how they want to help one another, well, who has what to help someone else. And, well, I have some extra, so if you need it, then I can, you know, you can borrow it from me. I'm not going to Hold your feet to the fire, but you know you wanted to borrow it, so you're it's the thing is between you and God to repay me. 
And if you repay it, we can then redeploy that capital to somebody else. And then that way we can become capital surplus providers instead of being a slave or indebted to someone we don't know. Okay, so maybe just to summarize so far, we're really highlighting God's way, which is about loving people. Helping people really is loving people. Yes. And, and, and we're also talking about, uh, you know, being able to, to meet our needs. In a way, I would say, at least is beginning to mirror the end of Acts chapter 4, where it says the believers had everything in common and they were sharing everything and nobody had any need. Like, that sounds awesome. And it sounds like living in freedom rather than being be- beholden to the, to the bank or whoever. So, okay, looking at this as relationally uh, grounded, uh, driven by love, l- driven by helping people, okay, so can you share some practical specifics of how how this works, how this plays out? I mean, just just take this where where you want this to go. But I mean, remember, like whether it's me or our listeners, we haven't heard this before. So just like, where do you start? Maybe what's a, a practical step or two or a way of looking at this? Sure. Um, first of all, you've got to realize that this has been done before, and it's entirely a possibility, but we've got to come out of our box of thinking of the only way we can bank is the way the world does it today. And so you don't need to even get overwhelmed with, well, that would require us to have a system and a vault and real estate, and then we'd have to do this and that. It can be as simple as, hey, let's be more transparent, guys, with one another. And instead of having all our financial affairs private, and we only talk about the Bible and our Bible study. Let's talk about how the Bible applies to each one of us practically in life. And as we discover each of our and learn more with transparency about what's going on with one another, and God can move in our hearts. Well, instead of me saying, I've got five extra thousand, I was going to put it in Google because I hear Google's really hot and could go up to 10,000. Instead of thinking of it that way, you say, Well, I was going to invest in. Google, but maybe better if I actually help Dave out because he's trying to build an addition on his house and he would have to go into a mortgage in order to do that. But I don't want him to go into a mortgage. I can be the bank for him. Like I'm going to help him expand because maybe he's having grandchildren over and needs that extra room. And you know what? Why don't I do that instead of investing in Google? So, and that's like one example where you're now finding and discovering through relationship and the possibility of, hey, I can help Dave out and he's not a deadbeat. He's going to try to repay that. And I'm not going to charge him, you know, to, to for that money. I'm just going to let him repay me. And then, you know, Dave in the future would hopefully repay that person and I'm going to get my $5,000 back. They, he might even give me a blessing and say, hey, I want to bless you, brother. You really helped me out. Here's 500 more. You know, hope you... Uh, I hope you do well with it. And see, now we're entering into this voluntary type of investing and banking dynamic where we're, you know, in Wall Street, we talk about how you trade in-house. Like sometimes I'm getting into the technicality, but the way the stock market works is normally people come into the big exchange and say, I want to sell this, I want to buy this. And you kind of get matchmaked by somebody else. 
But you could do off exchange trading where you say, hey, you have this and I have that. Let's do this together separately as individuals. So that's kind of like this concept is we don't need a bank as an intermediary in order to, once we have a relationship and transparency and we're in each other's lives, not just for church on Sunday and how we wear our nice hats and our ties, but we actually are interested in what everyone's going on and through in their life. And we say, hey, I don't need to invest in Google to make the money. I can invest in Dave. He has a need. I have a supply. Let's connect that right here. And so a couple things stick out. One is that this person who's in this, uh, in this example is helping me out. They're actually not interested in making any money. They're interested in investing their money in another person who probably will pay back. Um, uh, but if doesn't, then you just hold things loosely and like, well, I gave, I helped, and they, they, it's between them and the Lord, never paid back. But the point is, is this person is looking to invest in people and not make an investment as we typically think about it. Is, right. Is Their right? primary focus is not profit, it's people. And then the secondary focus is profit. Well, you know, I might get back, I might get paid more. And that's okay. Let's leave it to God for that side of the equation. He's always going to be pleased with helping people. Mm -hmm. And Dave had a need. Dave's not as wealthy as I am. I'm going to help a guy out. Like, it's better that I help him um, to do this than perhaps even just, you know, having him beg for, for money so that, you know, the only way he's going to be able to do what he wants to do is to basically ask for free for gifts. It's better if I give, instead of giving Dave an apple, it's better I give him the equipment to build an apple orchard with apple seeds and grow trees and then have his own apples. And then he can use those apples and help build someone else's orchard with those apple seeds. So that's kind of the idea between moving beyond a giving mentality of just pure benevolence of like, I'm just going to help someone. Here's mm -hmm. some money. Um, to, well, you know, I'm going to help somebody, but I'm also going to help them develop into their own surplus and their own provision, enter into their own prosperity with the Lord so that they can turn around and be a blessing. And they don't have to be in that position anymore. They can actually pay it forward and help the next person. And so in that sense, it's truly an investment because you're going to see a great return. It's not coming into your pocket, but it's going to help many, many people down the line. And so the other thing that really sticks out is that you're pretty much saying this would be helping people w with an interest-free loan. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, the Bible speaks about do not charge your brother's uh, fellow Israelites interest. U usury, which... Yeah. Does it mean interest or does it mean excessive interest? No, it means interest, interest, interest. So um, the idea was that your fellow Israelite who needed a loan was not looking to gain extra leverage to then go buy uh, GameStop shares. That's not what the loan was for. The loan was for actually because they had a need and otherwise they wouldn't want to borrow the money. Because remember, you've got to change your mindset. That is not good. That is that is a bad thing. That is a negative thing. And we have to be a slave to the lender. What God wants is no, you be the lender. So we we got to realize that we're shifting mindset about what do we use debt for? Is debt for everything and for life and for leverage to gain more money? 
Or is debt really something you use when you're in a position where you don't want to be in debt, but you're in a situation where you're asking for people's help and God's help to bring you up out of debt? And therefore, debt or lending shouldn't be done at interest because that's the very person who needs help to get out of the debt. So if we charge them interest and we are saying you'll never be forgiven for this debt, you always must pay me, are we really helping a person who's poor or less wealthy than another? And I think the answer is no, we're not really helping them, we're actually hurting them. So there's a couple of tracks this could go on, just thinking again of the vision of having such a storehouse um, to meet people's needs, okay? So, uh, before we go there, can I just uh finish this thought by clarifying a matter? Just because we're not demanding an interest like a bank does, doesn't mean that a person can't bless the person who lent them the money, a dividend, a bonus, a benefit, something extra. Because what we're trying to teach people is generosity. What we're trying to teach people is responsibility. What we're trying to teach people is come up higher. And in that, they should see an increase in a blessing. That's what the Bible says. And when they do that, they should also have a heart to share in that blessing. So it's not to say like the person lending might as well have given it to them because they'll never see their money again and they're not collecting interest. What we're instead saying is that we're holding things loosely and hopefully that person can pay every penny, but I'm not expecting that. But the person who borrowed it, that they're expecting that. That's why they borrowed it. And by God, hopefully they can. And then they can also bless those who help them through this, a dividend, an equivalent to interest, whatever you want to say. But see, it's not an obligation. It's a gift. That's the difference. You keep bringing up that you lend and expect nothing. That is Luke 6, verse 35. And it really is amazing. Like, who lends these days and expects nothing in return, right? Okay, but it's also stunning because it's fundamentally saying you, as a follower of Christ, you be the lender, not the borrower. Like, that's the position. That's a huge shift for, I think, most people in the body of Christ. We're not going anywhere for a loan. In fact, we have the storehouse so that we can lend to other people. I mean, it's just, it's just revolutionary. I don't, I don't know what else to say, Greg. This is just powerful. Um, so let's go down this track a little bit about some ideas in terms of how to help people. And like I was saying a moment ago, there's like two tracks, at least I think of it that way. One is right within your, your community of people that you're watching out for needs. Like needs could be everything from, uh, like you are saying uh, a few minutes ago, you're, you're having uh, children, you need to expand your house. Hey, the storehouse is now going to jump in and help that person to, to, to have a uh, uh, adequate housing, or it could be just, uh, it could potentially, if you had a big enough storehouse, it could be uh, offering a mortgage instead of having to go to the bank and become a slave to the bank. It could be something huge like that. It could be helping somebody, their their vehicle died, and they had three or four things happen. They can't pay for a vehicle at the moment, e- even a, a decent used vehicle. So now you're going to help them in the storehouse. So I think of all of that kind of stuff happening within the community, and it could be you know many other things as well. But then I think about another track, and it's like we get to know people uh, in our our city or town, let's just say in our community, 
and they are genuinely poor, and they genuinely, we believe, are the kind of person that wants to start their own little business or lawn care business or something, but they, they, they'll do it if they could only have a few thousand dollars to get this thing going. And then so the storehouse, maybe it's somebody not in the immediate community, but we know of other needs in the broader community, and the, the storehouse participants or whatever you call them, they say, yeah, we want to help John. He, want, he has this vision, and if we can help him now, then he'll be able to help his family uh, for the rest of his life kind of a thing, and he'll be a great model in that community. So, you know, I don't know, thoughts on, on all of that. Yeah, what you're getting into is a demonstration and a free will demonstration and a helping of a person, um, not with the not with the requirement of salvation, but with the expectation that the gospel will take root and then they too can be part of the family and the community. So instead of the gospel just being a matter of words, hey, here, read this track. You should believe in Jesus. Don't go to hell. You say, uh, okay, thanks, buddy, but you know my problems are bigger than that. I, I don't have a job, and I'm struggling right now. So the church doesn't really have a great response to that problem. We do have the alleviation of poverty, right? So we might say, well, if you're starving, you can go down to the soup kitchen and get some soup, and we'll help that. But we're not really offering a way of living a life blessed under God so that that person can be productive, uh, can come out of whatever slavery they may be in, and and come into a life and a life abundantly in Christ. And even if we help the person by lending them, as your example, of starting a new lawn care business, and they never became a believer, that's okay. We've just blessed them. And God loves that. And he will reward us for that eternally and otherwise. And hopefully it's a great witness to that person. They say, this is truly a powerful gospel. I've seen God change my life, not just spiritually, but in every way, uh, including economically. Right. It's powerful that that's the goal. The gospel will take root and that we'll see um, great, great fruit from it. Y- you know, um, the... Uh, while you're thinking, I just will add, part of the blessing of the storehouse is not just the money. In fact, the money is probably the least important part of it. It's the community aspect, and then it's the discipleship aspect of growing people into this new mentality of being the lender, not the borrower, but then adopting all of these business practices, adopting all of these life practices these ways of God that are in the scriptures that we have to rediscover. So it's about training and equipping and discipling people, not just lending them money. So when we give them an investment of money and that comes with a teaching and a discipling and like, you can do this too. This is how God will bless you if you honor him in these ways. We are helping mentor people come into Uh, like the greater knowledge of who Christ is. And that is part of the gospel of the kingdom, is growing people in Christ, not just no longer being babes, as Paul said, on the milk of the word, but on the meat of the word, and on the depth and the substance of who Christ is, and the power of that in life. Right. That's just awesome. And if we can demonstrate 
the love of Christ, the gospel in these ways, it's just, it would be tremendous. It's both uh, spiritually uplifting, inspiring, building faith, but it's also just very practical. And really, I think that's what God wants for both of us. He wants to see us moving forward in these practical ways uh, as he guides us and we respond to him and he blesses us and all this kind of a thing. Jesus had compassion on the people when he's here on the earth. And that's why he healed them. That's why he fed them. But then he also rebuked them and said, hey, you're just coming after me because I've got some food. Get the spiritual food that lasts. Then you won't come after me for the natural food only. You'll have the spiritual sustenance. And then all these things will also be added unto you. You see how that works? So first level is just benevolence and compassion. But really, the next level is the fullness of what the gospel means in power. And in that way, we're no longer just looking for a handout. Now we have the full picture and portfolio of how to live a life in Christ and have everything taken care of because God promised that. He said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness, all the things the world worries about, God has got you. He will take care of it. Okay, so then with all that in place, uh, let's go into one more area before we wrap up today. And, you know— when I think again of these nameless, faceless people out there, not in the banking industry giving us loans and we become their slave, but now I'm thinking of the insurance industry. They are trying to make as much money off of me each month as possible. But you've shared things, Greg, in the past. I've heard you talk about, like historically, I think you used the term um, barn raising or something like that. Can you just explain how the storehouse community uh, could actually meet those kinds of needs? Absolutely. So insurance uh, started as a concept, I think, especially in the area of um, uh, what is it called? Uh, Property casualty risk. So that would be like, oh, my house burned down. And did I have insurance? Well, if I had insurance, I could rebuild my house. But the way it actually began in the very beginning, in the early days before it became a financial complex, was it was simply people coming together in a community and helping out another if they had a catastrophe. And that was known, for example, amongst farmers in a farming community as a barn raising. So if your barn burned to the ground, the barn that you needed to basically farm, store your crops, keep the animals, whatever the use of that barn is, it's a tool, right, for your farming uh, success. When that burnt down, There wasn't anybody, there wasn't a big insurance company. The insurance adjuster didn't come and say, hey, uh, let me make sure that this wasn't arson and make sure your premiums are up to payment. And then we'll come in and helicopter you this check and you can rebuild. The idea was the insurance came from your community. So whenever someone had an issue like that, they would stop what they were doing because they had pledged to one another communally, hey, if someone has a an emergency, we'll all stop what we're doing because we would want them to do that for us. We're going to do that for them. And then in that way, they would do what's called or it was known as a barn raising, which is in a short period of time, but with many people, they would rebuild that barn, put them back into business. And in that way, it was a type of insurance. It was a type of surety. Um, So we're reversing the terminologies. But before there was insurance, there were people who were willing to stop what they were doing and say, we're going to help you. And in your emergency, we will 
sacrifice and make sacrifice to bring you back whole. And in that way, we help one another. So you don't need the insurance company as the intermediary. You just, it's the people working together. So that's kind of the, that's actually how insurance started before it came in profit center. It was people who were willing to uh, help in an extraordinary time when you had something you weren't expecting, some emergency, some disaster. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I want to use the word frontier, like places we don't go as the body of Christ, but it's like this wide open frontier for follow the Bible and help each other and have God's heart in this. It's actually really exciting. You know, Greg, it's bothered me for many years. I think I can even say at this point, decades, like who is this insurance company I mail this check off to? And how come when I want help, then they want to boost my premiums again? It's like, I, I've been paying you for years. I didn't have a claim. Now I have a claim. Oh, we need to increase your premium. Premium now you had a claim. What is that? I mean, anyway. So, so it becomes very expensive and it becomes like a black hole of you're just setting this money and then you've got to come up with that money. Well, I need that insurance for the car. I need that insurance for the house. I don't have that money. I'm going to go scramble and get it. But yeah, when we start idea, the idea of taking it back, hey, let's take this back. We don't have to just depend on this profit company that doesn't care about us to take care of ourselves. Like we can, we can share this amongst our community. Um, and you see things happening like in the healthcare area, there are these ideas like MetaShare and other, uh, comp- they're not companies, they're not prof- non-for-profits oftentimes who are basically pooling Christians together and saying, we'll pay your medical bills and our, what we give every month into this is gonna go and help everyone's medical bills together. And that's another way of like taking that back. now. That doesn't fix the issues in the medical system, and that's a conversation for another time, but at least it provides an alternative than to just sending your check to Cigna, uh, Cigna, Aetna, Blue Cross Blue Shield. You know, Now you have alternatives of Christian community who share the bills of medical, and that's an alternative to insurance. We think of what you just said as radical, because it is in our culture, but throughout all of human history, most of human history up until recent times, and in most countries of the world, this is how you would have functioned. You would have functioned within a community to help each other in relationship um, and not and not be doing it the way America does. Yeah, and it's like we were rediscovering that. It, you know, we, If you've heard of a concept called microloans, microloans are a third world um, somewhat of an experiment, which is like, hey, wealthy nations can uh, donate capital to create a microloan uh, idea so that a person in a poor nation like Tanzania or uh, Uganda or wherever they might be, you, you lend them $500 to buy chairs to build a wedding business, and then they repay that microloan but it's not the same kind of recourse loan that we would have in our normal banking system here. And you don't have to have a credit score to get the microloan. All you have to do is have an opportunity and a heart. And then it's understood that the people who are providing the microloan are willing to risk it and just lose it. Um, and so the, 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 the craziness of it is that, that those kind of concepts are actually much closer to the biblical truth of how we're supposed to do it, then the capitalistic model of the, say, Federal Reserve regulated deposit and lending system we have. Okay, we're 
out of time, but there's another area that we've really got to address here as we close. And that is that we see shakings in our nation. And at some point, the financial aspect of these shakings will catch up to us. You know, just in 2020, we had a, a pandemic and we also had race riots and there's just all kinds of things going on. Uh, uh, so when there's shakings, and this catches up with us financially, so what I mean by that is the government cannot send you a stimulus check or some sort of bailout check. Like the government, we're shaking to the point where the government either cannot or will not do that. What do we do? The current structures and systems that are set up will probably not do well as everybody's trying to save their own lives and we're not in relationship. But what we just described on this podcast, this is something that has a much better viability in a time of national distress. And as I've said many times on these podcasts, I believe that judgment is coming to America and not only the financial system and the Babylonian connections that we talked about uh, in the previous podcast, but I believe that it could start in the financial area. I don't know, but I'm saying there's probably likely other types of shakings where if we're in community, we're caring for each other, we're already in the the atmosphere of helping each other, that it's going to go much better for us through this this coming difficulty. Yeah. So you just start with the premise of anything that doesn't have the headship of God behind it is going to ultimately fail. We know that is scriptural truth. Anything that's wicked and evil will ultimately be judged, especially a system that's wicked or evil will be judged because there's no blood atonement for a demonic system. Um, so if Babylon is a spiritual principality and power ruling over the uh, earth and over the kings and over the uh, men of renown, as it says in the scripture, we need to realize there is coming a judgment of that situation. That's what Revelation says. It's very clear. Is uh, Revelation 18, come out of her, my people, because you're going to be shaken. You're going to be judged if you're not, because this system is going to be judged. This harlot is going to be judged. So a lot of what we're talking about is not only a good practice to take it back and no longer be slaves. It's also a way of preparing for whatever must come and will come. It shouldn't shake us. That's what the Bible says, right? It says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Whatever cannot be shaken on the rock of Christ shall remain. So if we're doing this and loving one another as Jesus has loved us, and we're doing this in community together, and we've unplugged from those systems, and we've stopped being afraid for our own money and financial future, and we've started saying, no, we're going to trust God, and we're going to help each other. If we start practicing that now by faith, guess what? We'll be well prepared, and we will not have to go down with that ship. We will not have to uh, struggle under those plagues or be killed by those plagues because God said so in his word. So um, it doesn't mean that we will be without suffering or persecution. That's not, God doesn't say it's going to be perfect in terms of like, you will still have trouble in this world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But in the areas that we are, have preventable opportunity where we don't have to be judged, we could be blessed instead. And then in that position of blessing, we can help other people. We should take every endeavor to move out and enter into the kingdom of God once again. So that's unplugging from Babylon and plugging into the kingdom of God in the banking 
business, investing, financial spheres. You know, uh, as you're talking there, it makes me wonder, you know, I you were just quoted uh, Hebrews 12, uh, verses 28 and 29, where it talks about everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The kingdom of God won't be shaken because that's who he is, but everything in this world will be shaken. And what it makes me think of is how uh, much is it always God's intention that we would be in community during that shaking? You know, we again, going back to something you said in our last podcast, uh, we're like an island unto ourselves, and we don't want to do that because it's not God's way. Yeah, can we possibly, certain people, maybe 2% of us, amass all the money, so now we got all our bases covered and we don't need anybody? Well, maybe you can, but it's not God's way. And God's way is to go through, whether it's a, a smaller national shaking or the major shakings that we're talking about here in Hebrews 12, and again, Revelation 18, with God judging the global Babylonian system and crushing it within one hour, is what the scriptures say. Those massive shakings or these smaller shakings, God meant for us to be in community through it all. Yep. So, Greg, thank you again for, for being with us, and we can find more of your... Uh, Input perspective at newbreed.co, not com, but co. Co. And I'd also encourage people if you're interested in any of these topics, we gather weekly every Monday at noon. We have an hour of prayer together on these topics of financial reformation and uh, uh, understanding of what God cares about in people and business. And then also on Wednesday mornings at eight o'clock, we have a roundtable discussion where we get into the, the, the meat of a lot of these ideas and implementations. We interview people, we interact. So I just encourage everybody to join us in either one of those times. Monday's at noon, East Coast, or uh, Wednesday's at 8 a.m. East Coast. And, you can and join that, in and uh, learn more. And that info is at newbreed.co. Newbreed.co. And on the website there, you can if you want to sign up for those times, we'll be on the distribution list. You just send an email to info at newbreed.co. Thanks again, Greg. And thank you for joining us for Insights. And remember, you can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, of course, on SoundCloud. Uh, We love it, though, that you're joining us at YouTube as well. Take care, and we look forward to being with you next time on Insights.